Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today is going to be episode number 180 with Drew Rouse from Real Game Calls. And we're going to be talking about the elk reel, uh, which is a handy new uh, little elk call that I found uh, while uh, here in Colorado. They're manufactured right here in Gypsum, Colorado. Um, about 15 minutes of the episode, for whatever reason, in recording, didn't record. So you're going to hear the episode cut right in when I'm talking to Drew about his uh, vast experience with big mountain backcountry skiing. And he's uh, an adventure seeker and uh, uh, skis for Vail Resorts and is a phenomenal backcountry skier. So you're going to get to hear some of those stories and kind of the start of real game calls. Uh, before we get to that, guys, I want to make sure you know that uh, by using the J. Scott promo code, that's all one word, J. Scott, lowercase, at, at uh, realgamecalls.com, uh, you get a 20% discount uh, on all of the Elk Reel calls. Uh, so you can uh, go on the website. It's a brand new website, realgamecalls.com. Uh, check it out. You get a 20% discount. And I want to thank Real Game Calls for their sponsorship of this podcast. I'm looking forward to using this uh, new elk reel uh, in my arsenal of calls uh, that I'm going to be using on my elk hunt here in Utah coming up. So I uh, also like to mention uh, Go Hunt Insider is doing a 30-day free trial. Uh, you can go to gohunt.com forward slash Scott and uh, sign up for a free trial, be able to look at all of the Insider and uh, go and check out all the statistics, all the harvest data, and uh, get the full access of the Go Hunt Insider for free, a 30-day free trial. So make sure you check that out. You can also link to it in the show notes as well. Also for Go Hunt Insider members, they're giving away this month of August, the Insider giveaway is 10 Kuyu sleeping bags. And uh, each winner is going to be able to pick exactly which bag, uh, temperature range bag that they would like from Kuyu. So that's a great giveaway. Every month, Go Hunt Insiders giving away uh, great hunts, great gear, and uh, this is this is no exception. Ten Kuyu sleeping bags, guys. Also in the show notes, uh, the Outdoorsman's. There's a link to the Outdoorsman's. Uh, they're doing a three package giveaway, uh, and. Uh, package number one is a Swarovski X5 rifle scope of your choice with custom outdoorsman's ballistic turret. Uh, package number two is a new long-range pack with accessories, pod, bino harness, glassing pad, and rain cover. And package number three is outdoorsman's tripod, adapters, and head of your choice. Uh, you can go to the show notes uh, and link uh, to how to enter in the drawing. It's a, it's a free giveaway. It's a three-package giveaway. Uh, you can also go to the Outdoorsman's Facebook page or Instagram page for the link uh, to sign up for that giveaway. Uh, I'd like to uh, thank all of my sponsors uh, at the J. Scott Outdoors podcast for all of their support, and I'd like to thank you guys, the listeners. Uh, and I just continually get emails every day from you guys, and uh, just thank you for all the encouraging words and all the support. If you have any questions, you can email me at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. You can follow along uh, my adventures at jscottoutdoors.com, my Facebook page, J. Scott Outdoors, my personal Facebook 
Facebook page, Jay Scott, uh, my Instagram page, Jay Scott Outdoors, and my YouTube channel, all of those of which can be linked in the show notes as well as uh, right off my website, jscottoutdoors.com. So guys, let's get right to this episode with Drew Rouse, and uh, you're going to miss about 10 minutes of introduction where he talks about his background in skiing. I'm not sure how I lost it in the recording, but uh, uh, Drew is a very experienced backcountry skier and uh, elk fanatic, and you're going to get to hear about this. So let's get right to the episode. I should say side country because it's right off the side of the resort. You kind of just take the lift up, traverse out of bounds, and then you're in the mountains on your own and and you can go wherever you want. So, I mean, that's generally what we do. What is the deepest powder like that you've ever skied in? I mean, I'm five foot eight, so I've skied in snow probably five foot eight inches deep. I mean, if it sits there unsettled and then it snows a couple more feet on top overnight, I mean, literally, you can get up to your neck up to your eyeballs in the snow that's unreal and it's just it's like an outer worldly experience when when it's like that you know what is the term that's used it's like in the white room or something the white room yeah the white room when yeah. you're when you're you're in the white room it, it's just snow blowing how do you see sometimes you can't see um uh, my friend my business partner with the real game calls i watched him ski into a tree one day he couldn't ski see so it can get a little dangerous <laughs> but uh you know i mean that's that's part of it so you just kind of try and get a glimpse of where you're going and, and try and go fast and stay above the cloud, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. And as you make turns, do you kind of come up so you get a little visual and then you kind of drop, yeah. kind of bounce back down in? and Yeah. And, and with the fat skis, a lot of times you can stay up above the snow. So, you know, you're really getting momentum. And as you make your turn, you're sinking in, you know, and getting that deeper. You're, you're really trying to get yourself down into the snow. A lot of times when we shoot photos or whatever, that's the... The goal is to get yourself immersed in the snow so it looks like they got a ton of deep. snow. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. So what's the worst accident you've had skiing? Um I I'd have to say that's tied. I, I fell down in Montana. I was skiing a coulard in the uh free skiing world tour qualifier at Moonlight Basin and I was skiing a coulard that had three cliffs in it and I jumped the first one, landed went to adjust my speed to go jump the second two as one jump and I caught my edge on a rock and I tumbled down the mountain and bounced probably you know 30 times and I end up uh having to have micro fracture surgery on the cartilage damage from my knee and I hit my head a whole bunch of times and and that wasn't much fun I I ended up getting vertigo from that and then there was another time at Snowbird Utah um it was just a random accident we had been up all night and uh I drive, used to drive a taxi cab, so we drove out to Utah for a contest, drove all night, skied the next day, and we went to go recheck all the airs that we had hit the week before. And at the end of the day, I just caught my edge going like 60 miles an hour and ended up airborne, flipping around in the air, landing on, on my back and broke my neck and tore my ACL at the same time. Goodness. Yeah, so that was that was pretty bad. And Did I have to air evac you out? I actually got up and skied to the bottom, um, walked to my car, and then took my ski boots, ski boots off and I was trying to see if my knee was blown out because I had I'd blown my other one uh, twice and then this one previous, so this was my fourth ACL and walking around just kind of dazed, I hit my head so hard, my friends were like, what are you doing? And they sat me down in the truck, I turned my head and, and my arm started going numb 
And so they, that, that's when I was like, I got to go to the hospital. And they were like, yeah, we've been trying to tell you, sit down. And uh, I just hit my head so hard. I didn't really know what was going on. And how many years ago was that? That was in 2011, 2010. So either it was 2011 or 2010. I'm not exactly sure at this point. And yeah. injured myself so much. <laughs> How many fingers do I have up? <laughs> Two, yeah, right? Yeah. So. Uh, falling and having injuries in skiing, does it make you not want to do it or is it just part of it? I, that's one thing I can never understand with some of these sports where guys get hurt a lot and then they continue to do it. Um Fortunately, most of the things that I like to do, the passions that I have, aren't really like quote-unquote contact sports. And I, I, it's always a question I'd like to ask someone like yourself. Yeah, I mean, you know, when I got into it originally, it wasn't a thought in my mind that I was going to get injured. And then it just seemed like it became part of it, you know. And, and I started having some success with my skiing, and I really loved to ski. So, you know, it just seemed like a sacrifice that I'd have to make if I kept wanting to continue with it. And it was when I started seeing people die, though, that I was kind of like, well, is this worth it? Because I've seen a bunch of my friends die in avalanches, you know, or, or in skiing contests, you know, where they, uh, you know, anyways, it just started getting to where the, the cost of it's real high. And, um, you know, uh, that's why I really like elk hunting and, and deer hunting and fishing so much these days is it, it's another way for me to have a passionate thing to, to pursue while not having my mom fret yeah to worry no if you're end. gonna die or not yeah so let's take a quick break here guys the title sponsor of my podcast is gohunt.com insider and they're doing a 30-day free trial exclusive for the j scott outdoors podcast listeners go to gohunt.com forward slash j scott and click on the blue free trial button and go through the steps it only takes a couple of minutes you will be required to provide a credit card, but you will not be charged until after the free 30 days. You can cancel at any time within the first 30 days to prevent being charged. If you have any questions at all, you can email freetrial at gohunt.com and someone from the GoHunt team will promptly respond. This is your opportunity to see what all the buzz is about and the filtering 2.0 system and the application strategies for the Western Hunter. PhoneScope is a company that makes custom-molded, precisely engineered smartphone digiscoping adapters. Photographing wildlife has never been easier. It is simple to text photos and videos from your smartphone and share them with your friends. PhoneScope stands behind their product with a 100% money-back guarantee. Get yours now by using the JSCOT16 promo code and receive 10% discount on all purchases. Check them out at Phonescope, that's P-H-O-N-E-S-K-O-P-E dot com, or on Instagram, at Phonescope. One thing I noticed today uh, fishing with you, first time ever fishing with you, we're floating down the river and there's all these shots, you know, in these little buckets and under trees and like, you know, like you're either going to hang it up on the bank or you're going to cast short or too far but you're like going for it. And I think that speaks to your personality. I can just imagine how you ski or used to ski uh, both um, just watching you fish, you know, going for those, um, you know, uh, risk reward, you know, no risk it, no biscuit type of type of shots. And it was cool watching you throw a fly, um, not really caring 
that there's a big overhanging limb and you know you got to throw it in a five inch window seeing you try and do that is pretty cool it's i think it speaks for uh the person that you are and your personality do you think it's just something that that I mean, do you consciously think about stuff like that being, you know, in extreme sports or do you just let it all hang out? I think that was just kind of my personality since I've been a little kid. I, you know, I was always the middle brother. I had a bunch of older brothers and, uh, you know, if you want to score a goal, you better shoot, you know, and be aggressive or, or you're not going to get anything. So it's kind of like an eat or be eaten. Yeah, I mean, you sit down at the dinner table, you better dang sure eat or else someone's going to eat your plate. Yeah, but I mean, also, I think it also has a lot to do with, I grew up fishing. I grew up on the Chesapeake Bay in Maryland and... I spent most of my life going to Florida to, to go fishing with my father, and there's a lot of mangroves down there and a lot of docks, and I think I'm just really used to that, um, where, you, where you put it underneath the mangroves or you're not getting anything, so I think I really enjoy that and, and uh, trying to put a fly in a challenging spot. I mean, anything challenging, I think it, if you're an elk hunter and you use a bow and arrow, well, you, you probably enjoy a challenge, sure. you know, so I think it's a lot of that and, and just being an aggressive kind of you know, if there's something there and I want it, I'm going to get it, you know. How did um, elk hunting come into your life and, you know, do you remember the first time you did it and was it a conscious decision to say, I, I want to go hunting or were you in a family that, you know, you just started hunting, you know, as a little kid and you don't even remember or later in life and you just said, man, that looks cool, I want to do it, I'm curious uh, how your passion for elk hunting started? Well, I, I always wanted to hunt, and my family didn't really hunt, so I just never really had anybody to take me. Um, I remember having a bow and arrow when I was a kid. My dad bought me a compound bow to shoot. So I got into archery as a kid, and always just... I remember seeing it was Jimmy Houston or Roland Martin on ESPN, and they called in a bull and shot it with a bow, and ever since I saw that, I was just like, I've got... that is That is something that I would be way into. And so I moved to Colorado to ski, and um, my me and my little brother, we rented a house on the Colorado River, and our neighbors in the duplex had a bunch of elk, and they gave us a bunch of elk steaks. And I don't think it was very long after that I went and bought a rifle and decided I was going to take hunter safety. And then uh, I started reading a bunch of articles that uh, like Cameron Haynes wrote in uh, Eastman's about bow hunting, and I just... I can't wait to go rifle hunting. I'm going to buy a bow and I'm going to, I'm going to go cause it starts sooner. And, and I just got a bow and learned how to shoot and, uh, took the task of figuring out how to find an elk. Yeah. <laughs> so. And sometimes, I mean, even though Colorado here has the highest, de you know, density of animals probably per, for any state, I will have to fact check me, but I'm pretty sure Colorado has more elk, uh, than any other state. They can still be a little boogery. I mean, over-the-counter units and, you know, they get up high and they get pressured and, um, you know, you've, you've cut your teeth on some of the, you know, most beautiful elk country there is, but some of the most challenging elk as well. Yeah, they're hard to find. I mean, you know, they, they, they don't want to get shot and, you know, um, it was quite the learning curve. I think that first year we hiked several hundred miles and I finally got a shot opportunity at the end of the season and, uh, my arrow hit a branch and went right over this four by four's back and he turned around and came back and I, and I, sh I shot him in the antler and it, the arrow was where he was standing. And I just remember being like, how hard was that to find that one elk, you know, where we, we, we hiked and hiked and hiked and looked and looked and looked. And before the season we could find him no problem. But as soon as that season opened up, those elk went into hiding and I just, you can't help but respect how smart they actually are, how challenging it can be. Um, 
like you said, there's 285,000 elk in Colorado. Um, you'd think they'd be all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you'd think there's none. <laughs> yeah. So For someone, for the listeners out there, I know they're going to be uh, hitting the woods here in about a week, um, the over-the-counter and, and even the draw units uh, for elk. Um, in general, um, you know, what should someone that's coming from out of state, coming to Colorado, say that opening weekend at the end of August, you know, is, is there a certain elevation that they should be looking at or a certain terrain? Uh, you know, sometimes you hear, oh, get as far away from a trail as you can, get as, you know, but then you hear someone saying, you know, there's elk right by town. Um, I'm just curious if, there, if you could give some general tips on, you know, where do guys come and find elk? Yeah, I mean that's that's a multifaceted question. Where would you come if you were out of state? I would say evaluate your fitness, okay. And, and if you're a fit fit individual, I would look on the steeper slopes, you know. And I would look in, in spots where it was like, well, I really wouldn't want to hike there. That's where they're gonna go, yeah. you know. And are uh, they there now? That's just where they live. Or if they get any pressure, they go to the thickest, nastiest, steepest stuff. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of scouting. It seems like the elk are, you know, generally where, where there'd be a nice, relaxing place to have a nice meadow to eat right now. But I think as soon as, and, and, and I think it's already started. With a lot of people get out there and, and do a ton of scouting, and they might inadvertently shoot themselves in the foot by going pressure in the elk before the season even starts but like you know they'll, they'll be in these really cushy you know hilton resort type spots for elk up until they get pressured and, and then then they go and start getting in that dog hair kind of dark timber and, and and steep um you know where they can dive off and just be gone at the slightest uh you know twig breaking or something when the action starts uh, that first uh, weekend in in August, or I guess it's the last weekend in August, but the first part of the season, is it pretty uncommon to hear bulls bugling? And and if if so, um, when do they you finally kind of start hearing them uh, bugle more? Well, see, it's been really intermittent. So I, some years it seems like they'll t- they'll talk that opening day. You know, if they're unpressured and they're happy. And I think that's the key is, is are the elk pressured and are they happy, you know? And then if the cows are letting them breed, well, the bulls are getting excited no matter what. So I've had it both ways where, you know, you haven't heard a peep for two weeks or you just opening morning, you couldn't sleep in your tent because they were bugling so much. Really? So I've had that, yeah, on several occasions. And, and you know, it just seems like all of a sudden off the, off the start of the season, it, it's just on fire. I think last year. I must have heard a hundred bugles on opening day, and I, and I nearly shot a real big herd bull that was with eight cows. And first day of the season, just needed him. I just needed another second for him to stand there. I ranged him, you know, and I was, I was getting ready to draw, and he took a step off, and I and then my, that was my window. But I mean, it was the first day of the season. And he was with a with eight cows. I think four of them were calves, and the, you know they were doing doing their thing, mewing and making a racket. And I got right in it, right in on him. And uh, you know that's bow hunting, though. You just uh, you get those fleeting opportunities, and sometimes it's not meant to be. But uh, it's, yeah, and two years ago, I don't remember hearing a peep um, for the first week. So gotcha. And then is the last week of the season by far like way more bugling, or does it like go from 
not a lot of bugling, then the middle of the season, tons of bugling, and then it tapers, or does the art, does it, do they carry on through the, does it get better and better and better every day? I think it just depends on how the mood is of those bulls that, you know, they're generally going to be young bulls around here, so they're happy to, to bugle and stuff, you know, but they get pressured and, and, and then they, then they don't want to talk, you know, they call people in, and I just think that it, that it's just, uh, it just really depends on the mood of the bull on that day, whether he's going to bugle or not. And some years I felt like towards the end of the season, they didn't talk at all. And some years they've ramped it up. But I have my own theory is that when the bulls are getting bred, they will let out the, you know, let off a bunch of steam. And, and I think that's generally if they're breeding, you mean when the bulls are breeding? Yeah. When they're, when they're getting to breed, they're going to bugle because, they just lose their minds. Yeah. That's my personal opinion. That bull that I that I shot last year, you know, I, I figured he was breeding cows that day that I shot him, and and that's why he was so aggressive. So okay, I was um, while you were talking, I was looking on your Instagram, and guys, you need to go check out Drew Rouse, Drew dot Rouse on Instagram. There's a picture of you with an absolute giant velvet mule deer. I mean, the thing looks ridiculous. So not only do you love elk, but you like high country mule deer as well. Yeah, I'd say uh, high country mule deer is is a is a really bad disease that I have. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you see a buck like this, holy smokes! Yeah, I mean, two hundred. What was it? That score two twenty two was the green score, and uh, just an incredible buck. Yeah, he was on uh, Monster Muley's homepage for a month, and he was on Field and Stream's homepage for a month, and they did a big article on on my buck, and that was a really cool experience. So, what have you seen uh, here in Colorado? You've been here a long time. What have you seen the mule deer uh, do as far as um, like? I've shot a, a bunch of mule deer here in Colorado, and then I believe the winter of '07, uh, you know, wiped them out wipe the numbers a lot yeah. of the bucks got killed what what are you seeing now have they really rebounded do you think they're what they were before the the die-off or yeah i think that the division of wildlife has done a really good job managing the mule deer herds um you know everything's draw here in colorado i'd sure like to see the elk go draw i'm sure that may be not super popular opinion but with the mule deer they've done such a good job of managing it that you can go anywhere in Colorado in any unit and you got a chance to shoot a giant buck and I think that's a testament to the divisional wildlife doing a, a fantastic job with the management um, lately last few years you know it, it, they're they're out there they're not going to be easy to find and then they're smarter than you'd believe but those big bucks are out there and then they've and they've been managed for and, and it's really outstanding to have the opportunity to you know, I got a picture of a buck probably goes around 240, 250 that I, that I got pictures of last fall and I've already got pictures of them this year. So, I mean, that kind of opportunity, yeah, that's all, that's all I need. (laughs) Let's take a quick break here. I have known the owners of the Outdoorsman's in Phoenix for over 20 years. They are the authority on optics and hunting gear. Outdoorsman's is the leading designer and manufacturer of high quality tripods, mounting accessories, and pack systems for all hunters. Their customer service is the best in the business. Go to Outdoorsmans.com or call 1-800-291-8065 and use the J. Scott promo code to receive 10% off any products. 
Utah Hydrographics is in the water transfer printing service and they can dip almost anything into a wide range of camel patterns, designs, and colors. Whether it's guns, bows, tools, rifle stocks, vehicle parts, steering wheels, cups, or tripods, Utah Hydrographics loves taking things that are general looking and turn them into something that looks fantastic. Give them a call and see what they can do for you and receive up to a 10% discount by using the J. Scott 16 promo code. Visit them at utahhydrographics.com or on Instagram at utahhydrographics. All right, now let's get to the moment of truth. I want to talk about this little gem right here. Um, I've got in my hands Elk Reel and... It is an unreal call. I cannot wait to use it this elk season. And I want to ask Drew here, how did you come up with this call? And when did you finally know that you really had something special? Um, so this will be the fourth year that I've hunted with it. So I came up with it in the summer, um, three summers ago. So okay. it's been three years. And I was driving a cab and me and my friend were like, well, let's let's make a better elk call. You know, I'm sick of these calls that are all bulky, these bugles. And he wanted to make one that you could put in your pocket that was a bugle. And so we started down this road together and we're like, wait a minute, we need something to make the noise with. So I, I own um, Grace Skis and I didn't own the majority of it at the time. And now I'm the majority owner. But the original owner suggested that I use some modeling foam and come up with a prototype. Uh, I tried to get him to help me in. Anyways, I got some foam. I decided that you could take the mouth read out of your mouth and put it in a device that would make it easier to play. And so I kind of set out to design something that you would put a read in and then blow through it and you'd be able to manipulate it really easily. And uh, just kind of hit on it right away. Uh, made this hinge call design, put a read in it, put a spring in it. Went up to my friend's house and I think it was three days into, into trying to do the process, I went and called in my first elk. And that's kind of when I was like, hmm, uh, this this has got some potential. You know, I went out into his yard and bugled with it and did some, some cow calls. That, you know, next thing you know, we walked in the, the house and down the driveway comes this lonely cow. And then we said, all right, this this has got something. So, and then that, that first season, um, I shot probably a six by seven that was so big and ended up losing him. But I mean, that was also a part of the product development. The call now fits in your mouth. Um, that bull took a step. I decided to let him take a step, and I, I should have never let that arrow go. I had him at 20 yards at full draw, and, and I should have just shot. When I had the shot, I had a little window, and I decided to let him take a step. And when I when I let him do that, he spun, and I and I hit him real far back. And it, so I just I will never shoot at another walking elk, and that's why this thing fits in your mouth, and it's so good for stopping elk. So the prototype did not fit in your mouth. No, uh-uh. and you had to actually hold your hand. Yeah, you couldn't just put it in your mouth like you can. Now. It would get crushed. It was made out of foam. Gotcha. And, and it wouldn't sustain biting on it. Gotcha. So you were manipulating it with your fingers and blowing through it, and they sounded really good. They sounded really nasally, but they were very fragile. Gotcha. And I would go home at night and make like three or four more. And every day we'd break them and then we'd go out the next day and, and, and so every night I'd stay up and make calls and then the next day we'd go test them and that's kind of how we got started with it and then um, after the season I decided this has to be durable so I spent the next year trying to figure out how to make it into its current state which is you know made of wood with pins that hold the reed in 
Um, and you know, I've tested them by throwing them at the wall. Uh, I left them on a piling in Florida for 60 days to see with the sun and the heat and stuff. So we did a lot of product. I saw you just posted on Instagram, uh, the real game calls, Instagram page. Uh, you dipped it. You were fishing either in Florida or out on the Chesapeake Bay. I'm not sure where, but dipped it right in the salt water when you were moving in a boat. And imme- immediate that one you got right there. Yep. And immediately started making cow sounds with it. And th- to me, that's unbelievable because most elk calls, you get them wet, they get real finicky, and and uh, you know that's that, you know the 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 external calls and you know some of the things that we've been used to for many years can get really really touchy yeah two pieces of plastic when you get them wet you know they don't have the same friction that they did when they were dry and so that was one of the things that as we were going into this we thought we know let's try and make it so it's not affected by the normal problems that afflict elk calls you know moisture um and and like a an unpredictability if you will so we wanted to make a predictable call that would that every single time you blow it would be reliable for obvious reasons, I mean, you spend what I I said I lost twenty pounds. Well, that didn't just happen, you know. And I'm doing that so I can kill an elk and and spending all summer shooting. You put all this effort and you know you wait all year and you get that one opportunity and you blow your call and it makes a funny noise. And to me, that's you know that's a killer. Yeah, I mean that's a real bummer. So you know, let's I tried to make something that in that moment of truth would perform. Well, I want to have you demonstrate uh, the elk reel, and I want you to show me the versatility of the call. And that's one thing, I mean, I think that's unreal about this call is you can make lots of sounds, but but it's, to me, it's the easiest good-sounding call that I've ever heard, meaning... Someone could walk through the door right now and you give them literally a 30 second little, okay, push, you know, bite and do this, push and blow. Yeah. And they're making elk sounds. Yeah. yeah. So to me, and the fact that it just fits in your pocket. I mean, like you fished with yours in your pocket all day. I'm like, you got your call? And like, yeah. Right here in his pocket and you're fishing, you know. Yeah. I mean, it fits in your pocket and. I mean, that's that's one of the things when we when we designed it originally, we wanted it to be compact. I mean, we spend, you know, you're hiking ten miles into the wilderness. You don't need to carry anything else with you. It's already hard enough. So we figured that the smallest it could be, light, compact. That was a, an original thought when we were going into this. Is like, you know, that's that's something that we'd like to have. So me and my friend, you know, it, it's a good reason that it that it makes real good sense to have it be small and compact and light. So. Let me hear just uh, just maybe a couple cow mews. What have you noticed this call compared to other calls that you've used as far as the way that the elk react? Like, I can't wait to just get out there and blow. Is it a noticeable difference of, of realism and, and they just fire off and cows answer back? Yeah, I've you know when I shot that six by seven, I called in all of his cows and they all walked past me, you know, and and it, it's 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 the audible variable in volume too, so it's a really realistic sound, but you you the, the cows will come in and they'll be looking at you and you'll go, and they'll stop, and they'll be looking at you and you go, and they'll start walking towards you and you're a person going. 
I might be onto something with this, you know. And and there's a video on our Instagram where a guy, my friend Ramon, calls in a bull for a, a gentleman with his muzzleloader, and he calls him in, and they can see Ramon, and he can see the guy with his muzzleloader. And I wish I knew the gentleman's name. I asked Ramon what his name was, and he said he, he didn't know. Anyways, so we filmed it, or he filmed it, and he comes in, and the muzzle motor misfires. And so the bull's watching all this. And the guy drops his gun, starts loading in, a, loading in a, another cap, and you know maybe 45 seconds go, and these guys are moving and not behind any trees or nothing. Right. And here's a 355 bull staring at him, can't figure it out. And Ramon's just sitting there doing his assembly mule going, every so often and the bull is just dumbfounded so they're just not used to you know the sound i think it's it's just the realistic sound or whatever it is i mean i'm not a i'm not a biologist but i know that when you get close to these elk and you start blowing this thing they just start reacting in a way that, that i wouldn't seen before you know i hunted five years before i killed my first bull and i killed him with a with an i make it a bull crazy um and uh the Primos call, the um, the double read call, hyperlip hyper double and the hyperlip single. Um, and that's what I used to carry around. And then they worked, but it, it wasn't like, you know, I had this magical power to stop elk and then have them come back towards me. And and once we had, once we had that high nasally pitch, and it was like magic. So, I mean, we used to think about calling this the elk magnet. Yeah. <laughs> so. I love the name elk reel, though. It's just such a perfect name. Um let me hear you get a, a kind of loud and nasally with that call. Like that kind of real yeah. calfy kind of sound? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's one of the things that it'll do that if you can do that with another elk call, I, you know, I've, I've been looking for one. So <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, you hit some tones and you hit some notes um, and the calls that I've been messing with, I cannot wait to get in the elk woods and see the reaction because I think there's some added realism there that no other calls you can't seem to get with any other call. Yeah, I, w I would agree. And I, and I think you're going to have a lot of fun with it. I think the audible volume difference too is like, you know, when you start out, and you kind of fade away. Yeah. Well, guess what? My girlfriend's leaving, so I'm going to yeah. go follow her. Yeah. So if you can make that bull think that you're 100 yards past where you're standing, you're going to have a lot more fun calling elk by yourself. So. Have you had equal response from cows as you have from bulls, or would you say that you actually the, the cows just go nuts on? I mean, is there one or the other or both the same? I mean, yeah, both the same, but, but the cows react to it differently than i mean bulls will react to a cow call um where i hunt it's a 15 year old cow that's gonna mess up your hunt you know you're trying to call in a, a bull with eight cows well one of them's seen everything under the sun so to fool her i mean she's she hears something she doesn't like she's gonna grab her bull and leave and, and that's her instinct and, and you know you can't blame her because you know, I like to eat elk, so you're probably smart to leave. But um, yeah, I mean, we've called in bulls and cows, and I think that's if you're hunting herd bulls, I think that's a big thing. You, you're not going to call the bull away from his ladies, especially if he's got 30 ladies. I mean, think about it, guys know. So if you can call his girls in, you know, and I've seen some of your guys' videos from Arizona, you call in the 
the ladies and the bull comes in following him, that's ideal. So, yeah. and then you just got to keep the wind in the right direction. So, for sure. The elk reel, one of the things that's pretty cool too about the elk reel is, I mean, it's not affected by temperature, cold or hot. Yeah, no, the the rubber we use has a has a operable range of minus 30 to 110 degrees Celsius. So, Basically, you know, it can get up to 230 degrees Fahrenheit and nothing affects it. So we haven't found anything to, that affected it so far. And we've done, you know, think about what I've done to my own body. I'm pretty good at testing stuff. <laughs> so Putting stuff through the ringer. Yeah, I mean, I actually just got a gig uh, uh, product testing for Under Armour. So I'm really excited about that. You know, like this whole product design testing thing has turned into something on its own. And, and, and I'm really excited about all of it. So. That's awesome. When does your season start here? Uh, Next Saturday, August 27th, um, season opens. How so, are you going to get any time to hunt? Because you're selling the elk reel as fast as you can make them. I mean, you're, you're selling unbelievable amounts of these calls. Uh, but there's got to be some product testing there, doesn't there? <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's, you know, in order to, to stay an authentic, real brand, you know, and... and how can I not go hunt? I have to. So uh, I'm planning on hunting every morning and then trying to deal with it the best that we can. Uh, my business partner, Ben's really great. And uh, so between the two of us, we're just going to man up and, and deal with uh, with the demand and try and make sure that everybody who wants to get an elk call um, can get an elk call. So Good. Yeah. Good. And I want to make sure the listeners uh, here at the J. Scott Outdoors podcast know that if they use the J. Scott promo code, uh, they get is twenty percent off on the call. Yep, you'll get um, excuse me, you'll get twenty percent off of the call when using that promo code. And uh, you know, there's no quantity limitations. You can get as many as you want. And uh, people have been asking a lot of questions about the different kinds of wood. Um, so I'd maybe cover that real quick. The Zeracote wood is is from Central America, and it's it's fairly expensive, but it's got a really dense grain that you can't get from a wood from up here. So it's a little bit more expensive. It's the one that does sound slightly different than the other varieties of North American wood. So if you're going to get two calls, try and get one of the ones that's a Zeracote and then pick one of the other ones. That way you can sound like a multiple a multiplicity of elk. Um, I think that's something that's really helpful. So. What other types of wood are more uh, indigenous here to North America that you're using? Uh, we use maple and we use oak. Um, and we've experimented with some other things. But I think the real key is the density of the wood dictates the vibrational capabilities of the call so you know the denser the wood the more it has this resonation to it um and the lighter grained woods tend to tend to have a little bit more vibrational capability so but like it's you know elk have different voices so you know a couple different elk they're all going to sound slightly different so it's a nice touch to have calls that kind of sound like slightly off you know where you can imitate mom and you can imitate the calf or you can imitate two calves you know and and sound like a whole herd and just be one guy with two little things in their hand and and you know you know sounding like different kinds of elk you know different elk for sure i think being versatile is huge um and you know let's say you get into a group of elk and maybe they wind you or they blow and you don't want you want to be able to maybe get on them again perhaps maybe change up the sound just a little bit it's always huge to have a little bit of a versatility yeah that 
I'd agree with that. You know, if, if they do hear the call, then they might get used to it. Um, so being able to sound, you know, like saying whatever you want in elk in elk speak. I mean, you've been doing those episodes with Chris Rowe, and those have been really informative. Where he talks about like different kinds of vocalizations and the different kind of inflections and emotions that the elk put into their call. And I think our call really lets you get into that where you're like, I'm gonna put some emotion into it. You you're gonna try and sound a little raspier on this note or a little bit more desperate sure um so i think that's that's been pretty huge one thing i think that you've been doing too that's really cool is on your instagram page you've been doing a lot of videos and you know kind of how to's and you know using the call in different ways and showing how versatile it is um, i want to encourage the listeners out there to go to real game calls on instagram as well as your website is it's uh, elkreel.com right now, and we're going to launch our new website, realgamecalls.com, here very shortly. Um, you know, we're going to branch out. It, it turns out if you make it a replacement for a mouth read, it works for all kinds of animals. So at some point here, I'll be releasing a turkey call that's really easy to use. It's really small, compact, and light. But right now, we're concentrating on the elk. Um, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this is like the first year since all the patents and everything are completed this is the first year that like you've put it out to the public and you've been selling calls and so uh, you've had an overwhelming success uh, just people buying them from all over the country uh, your expectation over the next couple months as these elk seasons in the west uh, progress is you're going to get all sorts of feedback photos uh, content what have you from people that have bought the call yeah, I'm going to be making a lot of friends. Um, <laughs> you help someone shoot a big bull elk, and, and, and they're your buddy real quick. So, um, yeah, no, I'm really excited to see how people do with it. I mean, we've been sending it out to a bunch of outfitters and all the people that have bought them. You know, I'd really like to thank everybody for, for their support. And, you know, it, that's been one of the most fun things about it is just talking to fellow elk hunters and people that are really passionate about hunting and getting to do that for my job. I mean, you know, someone just pinched me because I'm I'm probably dreaming on getting to do this on a daily basis, and and it's just been awesome. So I can't wait to see the kind of results that that we get this year, and um, try and build on what we've done this fall. And like Jay said, this is the first year that we've released it. Last year I sent out some samples, and we did really really well as far as like a numbers percentage wise. I'm not gonna yeah. put a number on it, but you know. This year, there's a lot of calls out there, and and people are going to be really excited. Yeah, yeah. it's going to be great to watch over the you know for sure the first couple of weeks of the season as stuff starts filtering in and pictures and I mean you know what the call will do because you've been doing it for three years sure. you know what success people are going to have um, so it's going to be cool to see uh, you know I know some of the people that have bought calls and it's like. You can't wait to see a picture and see the. Well, look I can't on wait their to face. see. I can't wait to see your what you do with it in Utah. So I know yeah, you're going I out mean, to the Beaver unit, and uh, yeah, you're going to have a lot of fun with that with that call. Yeah, so. I know that uh, Chris Rowe has has a couple, and I have some, and uh, I can't wait to get out there and actually get some interaction uh, and see their reaction because of you know. It, I'll I'll play a series and then listen to it back, you know, take it with my phone or record it, and I'll listen to some of the sounds and it's just there. It the call makes some real sounds that no other call actually does. Yeah, I mean, let's let's be honest, you know, like if you want to look, if you want to learn how to call elk, I would listen to a lot of. I would join Chris Rose 
elk module and I would listen to a lot of real elk and I wouldn't listen to people that call elk play their calls. And I think that's a big mistake a lot of people. They listen to people imitating elk, but you're not listening to a real elk. And so I think that's one of the benefits of living in Avon and being a skier is I've been completely surrounded by elk for 16 years. Anytime I go hiking somewhere, you know, I can get into some cows talking. Um, you know, I have a shed hunting dog and I'm real passionate about that with, with my dog. So we end up, you know, you, you hear things in nature and then you go home and you play your elk calls and you're like, well, you know, I'm trying to solve a problem here. Why this doesn't work as well as you would think it would work. So, yeah. you know, listening to a lot of real elk is, is the key. And, uh, like, like you're saying, you know, the, um, the call makes a really realistic impression some of the sounds they make that you can't really imitate with another call. So. That's one thing, Drew, that we didn't talk about. You can, not only makes unbelievable cow sounds, but you can actually bugle on this call too. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not the loudest bugle in the world, but it's extremely realistic and it's really easy to use. So. If you're used to using some other kind of bugle where you're maybe not getting the most accurate sound, this will really help you out. Um, you know, you can do a lot of growling with it, um, a lot of voice inflection where the bull's going to be kind of going. You know, he's doing that kind of like eh, 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 sounds yeah. that they do. So it does that really well, and, and it does a lot of the you know, the grumbly, growly kind of stuff. And you can get real high-pitched with it and... Do your uh, do your kind of spike calf, or not calf, but uh, you know, spike your, your immature bull bugle. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty versatile in that in that regard. Um, so yeah, if, if you're having trouble using a mouth read or using an, another kind of bugle, this is the ticket because it's simple. You know, I had a, I had a girl... She never used an L call, and I had her bugling in about two minutes. So, cool. Yeah. That just shows how easy it is to use. Yeah, it's a super easy to use. We're going to have some of those videos up on our Instagram, um, just people that have never used an L call, and we videoed them uh, using the L reel, and, and they sound pretty good. You know, Think about this. Who would you take hunting after using an L call for a couple of minutes? And, and if you you know, give them an L reel, and, and they'll be able to fill that role. Yeah. So. Especially if you got buddies or something that can't call, he needs a present. <laughs> <laughs> and you can su supply that present. That's right. So. Sounds good. Well, uh, like I said, thanks for coming down and uh, thanks for supporting the podcast. And I can't wait to get this call out in the woods. So uh, we'll be, I'm sure, bouncing texts and, and emails back and forth, some videos here over the next month. So looking yeah. forward to it. Yeah, it's about to be that time of year, the best time of year. So Awesome. It's been awesome having you here. I had a great time fishing with you today, and uh, I really appreciate you being the sponsor of the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. I uh, appreciate that support, and I've gotten great feedback from listeners that have already bought uh, the elk reel, and I uh, can't wait to see the photos and videos float in here over the next month or two uh, throughout the season, and I want to wish you the best of success uh, with, with your archery elk season that you have coming up. And uh, I, I, I kind of want to end on what's your favorite way to eat elk? My favorite way to eat elk is I, I like to cut them up into, into little cubes and saute it in some butter with some salt and pepper. 
So pretty simple. And yeah. Yeah. Um, ben, my business partner, his mom, you know, they grew up deer hunting and, and that's how she cooks the tenderloins and, and yeah, that's my favorite way, honestly, just something. So like simple. little medallions. Cut it in little, little cubes and saute it so it cooks real even real quick and, uh, yeah, I mean, I'll cut the back strap into little pieces and, and that's just the my favorite way. Either that or, you know, elk burgers. Who doesn't yeah. like elk burgers? Yeah. <laughs> I just like throwing a little salt, pepper, a little olive oil and throwing it on the grill and, yep. and you know, about three and a half minutes on each side and, and just nothing like it. Yeah, you know, I took some elk down to Florida. My buddy, he's from Philadelphia and he couldn't believe how good it was. So hopefully think i'll have him out here trying to get his own elk here before too long so awesome awesome well thanks uh, god bless you and uh, thanks for coming on thanks for coming down here and spending some time with me today and uh, for the listeners out there go to elkreel.com make sure to check out drew and and uh, his company on real game calls on instagram as well as facebook also right yeah we're on facebook and we're on instagram real game calls and like I said, we'll have our our new website up right now. It's just elkreel.com. So but I really appreciate you taking me fishing today, man. I had an awesome time. And uh, yeah, uh, thank you. Look forward to it next summer. Yep, absolutely. Right, Sounds so. good. Mm-hmm. <laughs>